Can you use this as an outtake? Hey, everybody. You're listening to the In Hindsight. In Hindsight. In Hindsight. You're listening to the In Hindsight Podcast. Let's go. Jade Michael, welcome. Hello, Matt Hines. Hello. Hi, my love. How are you? I'm so good. How are you? Great. (laughs) Uh, this is definitely the first time we're doing this, and um, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I think what did I say? This is my first morning podcast, and I kind of, I kind of like it. I love it. I love the morning sunshine. I love how we kind of rise and move with the sun as it kind of goes up into the day, mm-hmm. kind of bursts our energy up a little bit as we move into it. So mm-hmm. I'm thankful that we could do this, and I don't know. I always am a fan of. Breaking bread over coffee, tea versus a cocktail. And 100%. Yeah. 100%. Cacao over cocktail every time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I will say that, you know, Jade gave us a nice blessing this morning over a cacao ceremony. And it was really lovely. It was a way to start us into the day. Um, how, how would you say that you use these kind of ceremonies in, in situations? Because it's like, it's not like you're using cacao before you hop into your car for a drive like you know what i mean like a ceremonial side like when do you decide that mm. the ceremony is uh worth the the cacao or whatever uh or the cacao and the ceremony are worth that type of experience yeah, versus bringing another them forward. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's really context dependent i'll I'll go into a little cacao ceremony with myself if I'm going into meditation and I really want to open my heart and bring space for the sacred feminine to come through. Cacao is grandmother, medicine, mother, medicine. So very heart opening, very uh, bringing you into the present moment with a lot of love and a lot of openness. And that's one thing I wanted to bring into this space and into a lot of spaces of conversations where we're going to sit down and get into some stuff. It's okay, how can we set the space with the intention and the prayer and the presence to be able to bring forward everything we want to bring forward, but also doing it in integrity with the guardians of this land and our angels and guides and our mystical friends that want to be here in this space with us. Mm. I love that. I love bringing in the higher energy, the higher powers that, you know, create a sense of warmth around us, create a sense of, uh, I don't want to say security, but in a way it it does give us this little bit of insulation because Mm -hmm. for so many of us, myself included, sometimes there is this thing where if you don't have this feeling that there's other things that can help guide you and help be present in your world, you feel kind of lost alone and without direction to some degree. For sure. Yeah, right? And Mm so I'm curious on when that kind of uh, mindset started for you, Uh, when you you really started being like, huh, there feels like there's something else here. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to start kind of leaning into that. Yeah, like that awareness to maybe start leaning in towards the energetic side of things, the higher powers or, or whatever you call that. Yeah. I think I've always kind of had that sense since I was young, since I was a little girl, especially my mom. I have a kind of witchy, spiritual mom that's always loved tarot and the and crystals and 
prayer in her own ways and so from being very young and my biological father as well had a lot of cards and would pull runes and he's I would say pagan is where the camp I would kind of put him in so he was always talking about the trees and the water and Pachamama and so from a little girl I think I had this concept of there's more out there than just meets the eye and then as I got older into my early 20s and I started my own meditation practice and became more it was like when I found that space where my intentions were aligned with my words, were aligned with my actions, watching how everything comes into harmony and in synchron- like the synchronicities that happen within that space because we're all just, we're like radio towers sending out a signal. And when your signal gets really clear and really specific on what you want it's attracting the like-minded signals to it and once I experienced that so many times it was like okay confirmation there's more going on than I can just see with my eyeballs that have a very limited spectrum of light that they can pick up anyway Hmm. so that prayer that mantra is something that some years ago if any flub or misspoken word would have actually caused you to stop and start over again. Mm-hmm. And what I'm alluding to basically is been your journey through OCD. Yeah. And I'd love to get us to my question, which is, you know, how you've now come to be on the other side of the coin with your journey. Mm -hmm. But before we get to that, I'd like to hear about your actual journey with this thing we call OCD Mm -hmm. and kind of just the first awareness of it and then the eventuality of where we're at now. Yeah. And so if you wouldn't mind, please walking me through just kind of this (laughs) <laughs> yeah, this this broad stroke paintbrush yeah. or however deep you want to get with it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we'll start at step one. Okay. So um, in line with the, the research I do and also my anecdotal experience, I believe a lot of mental illnesses or things that become dysregulated over time, whether it's PTSD or anxiety or depression or OCD, a lot of them are trauma-induced. And sometimes there's one big traumatic event or sometimes it's micro-traumas or micro-transgressions that occur over time. And this is this piece is kind of my intuitive feeling of how things work that will require some more scientific backing through time. But I think a lot of people carry certain genetic codons that can be epigenetically up, like turned on or turned off for different ailments that we, we know this happens physiologically. I think for me, this is kind of what happened cognitively that I went through a trauma when I was little and it turned on this gene expression for obsessive compulsive disorder. And that's that's an important part of my story because I realized if this gene could be turned on, that eventually I would be able to essentially turn it off. And whether that's happening at the genetic level or a cognitive level, it gave me this understanding of there's an on switch and there's an off switch that we can access. And that'll be important for the later part of the story. 
but essentially as a really little girl, probably around six years old, I had a, a family member that was obsessed with aliens and ghosts and demons and chupacabras and loved these things and I would spend a couple weeks with them every summer and this person also bartended through the night so I would come and they would tell me about the alien they saw over the horizon and the UFO and the chupacabras that are dissecting cows and all of these crazy stories and then leave all night to go bartend and as a little girl I felt so unsafe like I have one memory of just sitting under the dining room table and like shaking back and forth like with my stomach hurting so bad because I was so scared and because these threats were not these threats that seem founded in this physical 3d reality that we're used to they were these more mystical threats what made sense for me my response to that trauma was praying so I started praying and praying and praying and I think that unlocked this switch to begin developing OCD because from that point forward I became an obsessive compulsive prayer which is funny because I wasn't raised in a Christian household by any means but that's how OCD began in in my expression of it it's such a variable disorder it can it can be expressed and changed in so many different ways so it started with that trauma I was obsessive and compulsively praying for a long time and then it turned into expressions of OCD people are probably more familiar with so obsessive compulsive hand washing I would wash my hands some days like 80 times a day I don't overwash anymore but I'm on the constant like maintenance of taking care of my hands now because they've been dry for like 10 years <laughs> it's ridiculous is that what that does it by washing it that much it'll dry them out that much yeah because especially when you're using like an antibacterial soap you're yeah. killing the microbiome on your hands that actually keep your hands safe like we have a army of microorganisms on our hands like we're walking petri dishes and we're dependent on these microbes that they they keep us safe they're like one of our first areas of defense mm. and i I wiped out the army <laughs> 80 times a day. 80 times a day. Yeah. Wow. Um, and that wasn't every day. Some days no. it would be 40 times a day, but it's still, it's still a lot, you know? Yeah. And then it transcended into phases of being so afraid of public restrooms that I thought even touching the door handle to get into the bathroom would for sure result in me dying. And then going to the gynecologist to get an STD test for just using a public restroom. And so it's all very irrational and very dysregulated. And that, the, like, th those are the manifestations of OCD that I really dealt with in the time frame that I had it. Hmm. <clears throat> and, you know, one of the things that caught me, you know, to that point when you were, when you were talking in your TED talk was the, and this line, rationally knowing how irrational the fears are and giving the keys and giving it the keys to drive. Yeah. Yeah. Walk, walk me through that because, you know, you, You've even said it, and you know I know this kind of about you. Like you're very rational. You're, the field that you've chosen to go down and study requires mm -hmm. more of the rational mind, and um, but you also like to blend both of these worlds of your life of going and being like I'm going to think about things that 
maybe are unexplainable, mm-hmm. which could be looked at as irrational. Mm-hmm. And then I also believe in the rational, this one plus one equals two because of biology, because of this type of thing that I follow. So mm-hmm. walk me through the mindset that a person who rationally thinks every day or thinks rationally every day can let the irrational take the wheel and kind of have this barricade that doesn't allow them to grab the keys back. Yeah, yeah. So the hard part about OCD and different mental illnesses is that you become physiologically triggered by something. Well, first you're cognitively triggered, but then it sends you into this physiological state of fight or flight mode. And essentially when a trauma happens and we have a response to that trauma, that response, that initial response can be very adaptive. It can keep us safe in that time frame. Like as a little girl feeling really unsafe, praying made me feel better. And so it was an adaptive response to the environment that I was in. But when I was out of that trauma environment, but I was still praying from that place of like fear and anxiety and my heart beating fast and my autonomic nervous system being dysregulated, well, that's, it's not adaptive anymore. But that's the hard part is when we go through something and we haven't fully worked through it, then it can trigger us and it'll trigger us cognitively and then it activates the autonomic nervous system and then we're in fight or flight mode. And from that space, rational thought is really hard because fight or flight mode is metabolically expensive. It's super taxing because your body is gearing up to either fight a threat or run for your life. And if you're in that space... How are you going to use your your frontal lobe where metabolic resources aren't going to talk yourself down and be like, you know what? I'm good. I'm chilling. And fight or flight mode is great when you encounter a bear in the woods, but it's not so helpful when you're in public and you need to pee. And then all of a sudden the thought of like using a public restroom sends you into fight or flight mode and you're in a full panic. And that's one of the hardest parts about having... I think OCD specifically, I'm sure other disorders, I, I'm not sure experientially, but inferentially, I could imagine there are kind of similar processes. But to have things that you are so irrationally afraid of, like for me, I have a bachelor's in chemistry and emphasis in biology. I'm currently working on a PhD in experimental psychology. Like I've chosen an academic path in the hard sciences that have kind of migrated into the the softer sciences, but that whole pathway requires rational thought, like the experimental method, like A plus B equals C, especially in chemistry. Like it's very logical, like it is or it isn't kind of thing. And I could rationally wrap my mind around all of that, but then when it came to my own experience in life, I lived in so much fear because I was so triggered like OCD you're obsessively and compulsively triggered by things in your environment and so being that fight or flight perspective all of the time the the rational thought was out the window there was no space for rational thought to come and save me from the neurosis that I was living in as a layman Mm -hmm. explain to me the scientific definition for obsession and compulsion and also for how you can contextualize those in an OCD world. Mm -hmm. 
So an obsession is a recurrent, unwanted, or intrusive thought. And that can come in the form of an image or words or sounds. And then a compulsion is anything someone does to try to make sure that the obsession doesn't actually happen. So if we want to look at one that's more rationally connected together, for me, I would touch a door handle to get into a public restroom and then have this obsessive thought that would just come in and be like, oh, you touched this handle and then you touched your pants and now you're for sure going to get gonorrhea and that gonorrhea is going to kill you. And this is how you're getting taken out. (laughs) And (laughs) this is how you die from gonorrhea. (laughs) And it would just loop and loop and loop and loop and loop. And so the compulsion comes in and it's like, okay, I don't want that to happen. So I'm going to wash my hands. So then I go ahead and wash my hands. But then the obsession is like, did you wash your hands well enough because you don't want to get gonorrhea and die? And it's like, oh man, you're right. I should wash my hands again. So then I wash my hands again. And then the obsession's getting even bigger because it's it's a feedback loop. So I've, I have the obsession and I feed the compulsion, which feeds the obsession, which feeds the compulsion. And it just, it runs in a positive feedback loop to itself because it, you're watering the beast. You're letting it get bigger. And it can also take place in forms that are way less rational. I mean, obviously, (laughs) that whole dynamic is not very rational, but the thought of like using the bathroom and washing your hands. Okay, there's a connection there that makes a lot of sense, right? Or we could have ones that really, that don't make sense at all. Like there, this isn't one that I've experienced, but there are people that have like a a tapping and a, a, like a, checking OCD I think is what it's called are people that like flip a light switch 10 times Mm. well the light switch flipping is the compulsion but why is that person flipping a light switch well maybe they're afraid that if they don't flip that light switch then their dog's gonna die or something completely irrational like that so living in a cognitive environment where OCD is present is so chaotic and it's so scary and it's so loud and OCD puts so many intrusive horrible thoughts in your head but then also kind of feeds you this mindset that the thing that you're more afraid of than anything else in the planet like your dog dying or your mom dying or in my case like not praying thoroughly enough and then becoming possessed and horrible things happening like that's on the table and if it happens it's your fault because you didn't do the compulsion to stop it from happening Mm -hmm. and so that fear that it feels like the whole world is sitting on your shoulders is so imminent and so scary that I don't care if it's irrational. I'm going to flick the light switch. I'm going to pray for four hours. I'm going to wash my hands because if the worst thing in the world that could possibly ever happen might happen and it's my fault, I'm going to do whatever it takes to make sure that doesn't happen, even if it doesn't make sense. Wow. Yeah, shit's gnarly, man. Shit is gnarly. <laughs> shit's gnarly, man. What it, what it sounds like, and maybe I'm, I don't know how much I'm hitting the nail on the head or if I'm swiping and missing pretty hard, but like, it sounds well. It sounds like people with this, people like yourself, are trying to control things outside of our control. 100%. You can control yourself, mm-hmm. but you can't control the fact that mother could get in a car accident, yeah. dog could get hit by a car. Yeah. These are things that you can't control, and so by doing these things, there's this wishing upon. I have control of all aspects of life, not just the physical body and the things i do every day yeah and that's the most irrational part of all of it 
probably at the most fundamental level is that you're seeking for control over things that you fundamentally can't control. But yes, irrational, Mm -hmm. but not out of the norm because I feel like most people want to control the things that we know we all can't control, right? We see it all the time in everyday life. I think that next... uh, the, the next league up, if you may, you know, going from the minors to the majors on that one is having the OCD and taking it to that next level where it's like, well, we all walk around being like trying to control this. I'm going to flip a light switch 10 times because I now can control it. You know, <laughs> like, I think we trick ourselves into thinking that that's what can happen from it. Mm-hmm. Um, what what was at the peak of its intensity? What was some of the worst things that were going on because i know you said 80 times potentially washing your hands what was like at the peak of its you know or at the height of it what was the things that were really becoming detrimental in your life yeah well my experience with ocd was that there were different times when it would ebb and it would flow Mm -hmm. and it would it would it would crescendo and get really really bad and then kind of die off and then a new form of ocd would kind of rise up and take place and so it's happened in a few phases when I was probably around the ages of 11 or 12 I would be so scared going to bed at night because I was so afraid that I didn't pray well enough that I would for sure become possessed by a demon and something horrible would happen to my family or happen to myself because I didn't pray well enough or I wasn't forgiving enough or kind enough or whatever it was like the guilt and shame was just so intense and I felt like I can never live up to this the expectations that my concept of God at the time had of me which was this hell fire brimstone like perfect or you're burning in hell which I don't even know where I really got that concept of God other than Christian context that I'd kind of heard in passing because I wasn't in a like a religious household and I'd be so afraid that I would get up in the middle of the night and then go sleep in my mom's room like between the wall and her bed on the floor because I was 11 and 12 like I shouldn't have been sleeping with my mom anymore she didn't want me in there she would tell me like don't come into my room tonight you have to sleep in your own bed and I would get so scared that I would just go like shiver on the floor next to her bed because I was so afraid of being alone because if I was alone I was vulnerable and this demon would come get me you know and from that phase of my life for like a solid 10 years of my life, like I hardly have any memories because I lived in fight or flight mode so often. And like I said, it's metabolically expensive. Like when you're in that state, my brain's not sending resources to my hippocampus being like, please encode this memory for later retrieval. Like that shit's (laughs) not happening, you know, it's in there somewhere, but not at the level of the retrieval being easy. So that was really gnarly. And then during my undergrad, it crescendoed again. I had a had a three-year period where I was, I mean, I was an undergrad, so I was also partying. I wasn't really taking care of my body. I was in a very psychologically and emotionally toxic and kind of a, abusive relationship, which when you have an anxiety or stress or fear disorder and then you're in an environment where there's more anxiety and more stress like it all just kind of compounds in on itself so there was a three-year period during my undergrad where I was that's when I was washing my hands 80 times a day I had this 
ridiculous fear of cold sores. Like I thought if some if someone with a cold sore looked at me, I thought I was for sure going to get like genital herpes, like no questions asked, which I like, I thought it was airborne, yeah. which is like it would hop from their lip to yours and just to, like, exactly. Up, and then yeah. like travel down my body, like fucking the most irrational thing, especially wow. in this time frame, is when I was working on uh, a BS in biochemistry mm. essentially. So like I, I rationally knew the rules, but they didn't apply to me because the fear was so strong. I was so triggered that the rational piece didn't transfer to my personal experience with the world. And that caused a lot of um, psychiatric discomfort for me to live in this space of like such intense cognitive dissonance of knowing rationally how things worked, but being so irrational and how I applied them to myself. And so I was scared of everything. Like there were a couple years where like I wouldn't even hug my sister. I wouldn't share drinks with anything. I wouldn't like hug my parents. Like I didn't want anybody in my personal space. Like I was that friend that everyone knew like don't hug her. Don't touch her things. Wash your hands before you touch her stuff. And like trying to control my physical environment. Trying to keep my bathroom so clean. My home so clean. Like I was that controlling neurotic roommate that people had to dance around because they didn't want to set me off because a I was neurotic and b I was like very strong willed about it and so it damaged my relationships it left me feeling so isolated like an interesting part of my healing journey was getting back to that place of being able to like hug the people I love and I had to start asking people like hey can I give you a hug and they would kind of look at me like you want a hug really but I had to be the one to like broker that conversation and open that space because I was the one that had put so much distance there so it in in so many ways it affected almost every facet of my life until I got to the breaking point where I was like I cannot live this way anymore because this life is not worth living if I continue to do it in this way You're leading me into my next question, Um, (laughs) which also was a turning point in my life when um, and not going into my journey. But like there was a point where it was like and I always emphasize that, but it was like it was not suicidal for me. It was this life is not worth living. So either decide not to live anymore on this earth or figure it the fuck out. out, And it was always going to be figure it the fuck out. I just had to verbally say it. And I had to look at that and exhaust myself to the point of like, this road has to end now Mm -hmm. and you need to hop on a new path and start. And so like it, it did, it took that exhaustive breaking point. And I think sometimes it's frustrating because whether you're 30, when I was figuring this out and looking at myself or you're 25, 24, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. and you're figuring it out, you're like, what happened that it stretched on for so long? Mm -hmm. There's a frustration in that sometimes where you're like, man, for X amount of years, I've, this is what I've allowed to like kind of happen. But then at the end of the day, that's still something that had to work its way through you in order to gain the perspective to then get to that conclusion of I am done with this. Mm -hmm. So you reached this breaking point. What did that look like the next day going forward? And I'm using next day pretty loosely here. What were these next steps where you were like, I need to start. Chapter 11 to chapter 12. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, chapter 11, chapter 12. (laughs) 
breaking points. <laughs> breaking points. Yes. So I during the end of my undergrad, I was so dysregulated. I was so in a bad way. I was just living in a cognitive hellscape. And I went to the gynecologist for using a restroom and I'm like sitting in the chair, legs up, mid-exam, right? And she's like, you were here two weeks ago, Jade. Like, why are you here again? And I tell her, I was like, I use this restroom. It was really dirty. Da, 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 da. And she stops mid-exam and like takes the swab that's in her hand and like looks me in the eyeballs and drops it in the trash. And she's like, you are at the wrong doctor, Jade. You need to go see a psychologist. And I was like horrified because I was like, I'm dying of chlamydia and you're going to tell me I need to go see a psychologist. My (laughs) medical professional is telling me (laughs) to leave. (laughs) Yeah. My medical professional is telling me that she will not bill me for this visit and that I need to leave because I'm, I'm I'm in the wrong place. Yeah. And so that was a really good, um, wake up call (laughs) to be like oh shit okay you know maybe something needs to change here and um i tried to find a psychologist in salt lake city it's actually hard to find a psychologist that will take ocd patients because i think ocd patients can be pretty fragile because if you say the wrong thing to them they can turn it into an obsession or a compulsion Mm. and I found two psychologists and by the end of my first appointment with one of them, he was like, girl, I'm sorry. Like, I can't take you on as a patient. I'm afraid I'm going to make you worse. And the other psychologist wasn't accepting new patients. And so I was, I was kind of up against this space of, okay, something needs to change. Like I, I have to change. That is my only choice. If I am going to live a life that's worth living on this planet, I, I have to change something the therapy option isn't working out. That summer before that, I had tried Zoloft, which, like, I would rather have crippling anxiety than feel nothing. Mm. Like, complete apathy is worse than anxiety, which I didn't know that was a thing. But for me, that's for sure how that that went. And then I started to find thank god seriously thank god i found meditation and microdosing mushrooms and mantra and when i started to find these things everything started to open up in a new way because sitting down with myself in meditation and microdosing mushrooms paved the way for me to hold the understanding that healing wasn't only a possibility but that i had everything i needed within myself to be able to heal, which is a way different paradigm to subscribe to than going to the psychologist who keeps trying to tell you that you need to go to the psychiatrist. They can put you on all of this medication Mm -hmm. because then it's not, oh, I'm empowered to heal, heal myself. I can do this. It's, oh, I'm Jade and I have OCD and I'm going to have it for life, but at least they can give me these medications to try and manage it. And I can talk to a therapist and use medication and have these external things to try to make it better. It took me away from that paradigm that I had subscribed to for so long to realize like, oh, I hold the keys to the castle. And if I learn which keys these unlock, I can literally unlock all the things that I need to to set myself free from this hellscape, essentially. Hmm. And this is something that we'll get into later, but that 
it all comes down to that that choice, right? We all have this choice. Mm-hmm. And tapping, I think that that is a foundational root for a lot of things, having choice. Yeah. And when you understand that we all as human beings on this earth mm-hmm. have a choice, some a little bit more restricted than others, you start with that and you go, I now have the choice to sit here and take medication or take this route. So like we can start there. Mm-hmm. I was presented the same thing with my story and I did not want to become the apathetic person mm-hmm. taking something that numbed me to, you know, lose feelings, lose my sense of personality and instead decided I was going to take the roller coaster of life and go, you know what? There's going to be some heavy dips, but there's going to be some really fun highs. Mm-hmm. And that life was way more fun to go down and live versus that other way that you had explained. Mm-hmm. And so one, I just want to commend you for even getting to that 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 option and then choosing the one that ultimately and objectively is harder. And yeah. it's harder because you have to go through the fields of daggers that are going to keep cutting you up, keep slicing mm-hmm. you open, knowing that every time you go through the next field of daggers and there's things that are going to hurt you, your skin's a little tougher, your awareness is a little bit better to move around them to get to to navigate, and I think that that is a becoming more of a lost art mm-hmm. in our world, in our culture, in our society, a lost way of thinking because we have instant gratification with a swipe or a, or a, a little like on our movies or photos on Instagram. We have instant gratification when we take that drug, and forty five minutes later we feel good because it's mm-hmm. now the pain has subsided. Mm-hmm. But in reality, it's all band aids for a giant gash that we have inside of us mm-hmm. or on, in us. And you know, I guess you know the question is when you are taking these small baby incremental steps towards getting better. You know what? What? did you see that you needed to continually get yourself reassured to go, I don't need to wash my hands 80 times. Mm-hmm. It can now just be this many times. And how did you, how did that process get worked yeah. a little bit? Yeah. So the beginning of that process, I actually relied on some external help from community because one of the hard parts about OCD is OCD tries to teach you that its voice is your voice and when you're living in a cognitive environment that is so loud and so chaotic and there are so many intrusive thoughts and there's so much anxiety and especially when when you start trying to stop compulsions there's so much guilt and so much shame because you're doing that compulsion because you're afraid that if you don't do that compulsion something awful might happen to you or your family or your community or your pets and so trying to stop yourself from doing something that OCD has convinced you is going to result in harm coming to something that you love there's so much guilt and there's so much shame that's wrapped up in that and what's what tears you apart more than guilt or shame you know? And so for me, I started calling my mom or my best friend Mia and I would ask them, is this rational or is this irrational? And they would kind of talk me through it, which helped me navigate which voice I would be able to listen to. And I had to develop the understanding of, okay, I'm, I'm at the bottom. I'm at the very rock bottom. And so from this place where I'm shattered on the ground, I get to choose which pieces I'm going to pick up and I'm going to bring with me as I 
If you're going to spiral, spiral upward. Like, I'm going to spiral upward this time. What pieces am I taking with me? And I had to make a decision. Like, my voice, who I am, I choose love and I choose trust and I choose faith and I choose integrity and strength and honor and loyalty and forgiveness and compassion and understanding. And if the voice doesn't sound like that, then it's not my voice. And so it was beginning to... A, hear what my voice sounded like, and B, choose the the qualities that I wanted to resonate with. And OCD sounds like fear. It sounds like guilt. It sounds like shame and anxiety and depression and self-loathing. And so that kind of helped me differentiate which voice is which. Because one voice is coming from this light archetype of my soul, of my highest self. That's kind of this light at the end of the tunnel showing me how to get out of it. And the other voice is dark and it's heavy and it's trying to keep me down and not let me go up. But there's there's a process in there of choosing which wolf do you feed, especially when you lived so long in a cage where you had both of the wolves and they tore each other apart and you didn't really know which wolf was which, let alone that there were two, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yeah. And one thing about OCD is stopping things cold turkey might be a recipe to end up in a psychiatric hospital, Mm. honestly. And so I had to develop essentially a dance within myself where I would choose to feed the OCD wolf enough that it wouldn't tear me apart but do it in a way that I was consciously listening to the voice of my highest self and that sounds super out there so what I mean by that in like actual application is sitting in meditation gave me the ability to quiet my mind enough to listen to which voices were present and that was huge. That was like step one of like sitting down and being able to quiet my mind enough to be able to listen to the contents of what's going on. Because when it's so loud and chaotic all the time and you don't settle things down, how are you going to pick out a single voice in a crowd, mm-hmm. you know, in a mob of people that are yelling? So let's calm the fuck down and learn to listen first, right? So that was step one. And then in the actual application of this, it would look like me going and peeing in a public restroom. And then I could feel the anxiety of OCD coming up, being like, you need to wash your hands 20 times. And then the voice of my highest self coming up. And at first it's just a recognition of, oh, I'm triggered, I'm anxious, I'm dysregulated. OCD is trying to be really loud, but I know that that's OCD and I have this voice, my voice that I have this choice and I'm gonna choose to listen to it, okay. Now I'm in the bartering zone, essentially, this gray area. I felt like the bartering zone. OCD is telling me, you need to wash your hands 10 times. And my rational voice is saying, okay, I don't need to wash my hands 10 times. That's irrational. But I know if I only do it once, I'm going to have anxiety for the next six hours. That's also not an outcome that I'm down for. So five times. We're going to call it in the middle. I'm going to wash my hands five times. I'm going to satiate both sides. And that's really what that process was. At first was this bartering system, but it's those small steps over time. Okay, today I wash my hands five times. Next month, four times. The month after that, three times and slowly, slowly cutting it back. 
I think the recognition is such a huge step. I mean, they're all big, like they're all small steps into the bigger picture, but that, that recognition of what you said to sit there and look at both of these wolves and go, which one do I want to feed this OCD? That is the juxtaposition to my voice that sits up here or vice versa. And when you sat there and you applied this kind of scientific method, if you may, towards this process of this is triggering me, I'm going to resort back to what feels like light here versus what feels like darkness. Okay, that's already that sign of this trigger is not my voice, step one. Mm -hmm. Now we go into this other thing of, okay, I want to do this. Let's barter and see how we can knowingly get to my get to my lessers you know from the hand washing from 80 down to 60 down to 20 Mm -hmm. let's barter and go okay by knowing that if i at least give something here and it's less than what it has been then i'm kind of tricking the mind into satisfying what it wants this this wolf mm-hmm. you're almost like giving it less food every time yeah, yeah it's almost like slowly starving yeah it like, out. like the little like um like this like the dry food that you give pets and stuff like that oh. it's like maybe there was 100 pieces but now there's 99 i don't know if you're gonna tell yeah. and then you fast forward all this time you go there's only one piece and it's it's okay with eating that one one piece because you weaned it down you weaned it down so much yeah and totally that's I, such a good <laughs> analogy because well, if yeah. you if there's this big ugly mean wolf in my house and all of a sudden i stop feeding it and i put it outside it's gonna bust down the door it's gonna <laughs> come in in like a raging fit of hanger like what's more powerful than hanger you know like yeah. <laughs> my bitchiest days i'm hangry for sure <laughs> you know because with you and your hangry uh, a couple weeks ago we tried this before <laughs> yeah yeah i was we tried to film this podcast a few weeks ago and i finally looked at matt and i was like dog i need some food man we gotta yeah, go get dinner it's just a day i need to go get some dinner We're like all right let's let's get some dinner um which is a great pivot but um yeah i mean it comes back to the waning off process the Mm -hmm. cold turkey and i'd given you an example before that the coffee the caffeine Mm -hmm. well the caffeine triggers something and that recognition of what it triggers is step one Mm -hmm. and you go okay well this thing clearly is doing something that does not suit my life and the things that come from it so why do I do it? And you do that work back. You yeah. go, okay, if I want to become this and this thing is hindering that, then only why do I do this? And you list these reasons. Oh, I love coffee because it's a ritual in the morning. It tastes good. Mm-hmm. The smell of it wakes me up like blah, 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 blah. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, how do I transition into finding other things that allow me to do the metaphorical feeding of that wolf that isn't this and also doesn't cause this? Yeah. And yeah, like, you know, so many people I think have a well-intentioned, I'm going to quit cold turkey because that's what they feel like they have to do. Mm-hmm. When in reality it's like, no, 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 it's okay. It's okay to slowly work your way off of these things. Yeah. And I think your story of doing that shows and, and kind of proves that, that, that theory and that, and that way of doing things. And so we come now kind of full circle to the fact that you were able to give us this ritual this morning Mm -hmm. and if you, or this prayer this morning, and if you had stumbled, you would have just kept picking up where you, you know, left off. Yeah. How does that feel for Jade now? You know, the (laughs) fact that you can kind of make this flub and know that 
Matt's going to be okay. My mom's going to be okay. Things are going to be okay. Continue because it's the overall what I'm giving here yeah. is the message, not the fact that I didn't say it perfectly. It feels good, baby. <laughs> Ooh, shit, baby. It feels so it good. Um, going into the kind of left field of the super spiritual conversation, I will just put on the altar that I do believe in past lives. I've been a monk or a nun or a priestess, like a very devout to source person where prayer was a deep ritual in my life and I think that's another reason why when I was six years old it was the first place I went to to feel safe was coming back to this connection to source and then OCD hijacked it and it became obsessive compulsive praying and I think it was so accessible within my psyche and my being because ritualistic prayer has been a part of me for lifetimes But in this lifetime, for whatever reason, part of my rite of passage to become who I am now was having to go through this portal where that ritual of prayer was actually really unhealthy. And I was praying from a space of my nervous system being so dysregulated, praying from so much fear and praying from the space of like, God, please help me. I'm so scared. Like, I'm so scared. Please help me. Please protect my family. Like, please protect my body. Please protect my home. Please, 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 please. Like... And if someone's following you around all day and I'm like, Matt, please, please, Matt, will you help me, Matt? Please, please. You're going to be like, you're so fucking annoying. Like, go away, <laughs> you know, because it's yeah. it's from this like really small, insecure space. And now through my journey, I'm it's I, I was praying from like this lower expression, like this low vibratory expression of praying out of fear and praying out of guilt and praying out of shame because OCD was keeping me down there. But now that I've ascended and let go of OCD, it's been like all of the sandbags getting dropped off of my air balloon, you know, and then my hot air balloon can rise up. And now I'm in the space of being able to pray from a place of love and a place of freedom and understanding with my nervous system being regulated and because I'm breathing normally and my heart's beating at the pace that it should be beating at I feel this connection like I feel like I'm in active conversation with my angels and the goddess and source when I'm praying I can feel the energetic exchange because I'm open instead of fear and anxiety keeping me so closed and shelled off and so it's the the greatest gift that I could ever receive because I am very spiritual. I'm meditating and praying all the time. And it's like my favorite part of life now, you know, like I I really do love it. And it really does come from a healthy, liberated place. And it doesn't feel, it's not a compulsion to make sure an obsession doesn't happen. It doesn't come from that place at all anymore. It comes from the place of I'm filled with so much love and gratitude and instead of praying like please please it's like thank you thank you source for this new day thank you for my home thank you for my community thank you for guiding me thank you for empowering me thank you for allowing me to show up in every situation with as much integrity and love and forgiveness as honor and honor as I'm capable of and in the times when I don't show up with that thank you for showing me where I misstepped so that I can show up better next time because I'm just here to learn. And so it's, I feel empowered now in my prayer and it is, I could cry. <laughs> like this is you the greatest there, gift. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I think, I truly mean this. Like you're, you're one of my favorite people to chat with just 
outside of the microphones and stuff because that awareness that I'm in my journey with and and everything that you've said that I'm in my own personal world with mm-hmm. there is days where yeah there's not as many smiles as I'd like them to be but then there's days of just complete grinning ear to ear because you're watching this work you're watching what it is that is so exciting to build on top of foundations that come from such a truest you mm-hmm. and that truest you took that hard work it's like anytime you watch something you've built physically in the world say you're a house builder and you're sitting there and you're like i've never built this house but this is gonna be my family's home you can't help but be felt with this overwhelming sensation of like this was my hands that built this you worked hard and you made it happen yeah i mean we are building our metaphorical house and my buddy said it best it's like do we want to have a house on a foundation of sand or do we want to have it on a foundation of rock you know and it's just like well rock because sand it gives away it washes (laughs) away you know definitely rock definitely rock (laughs) and but how how you assemble those rocks how you put that together is so important and just to hear how you're saying all this is truly a fantastic like journey and also something that gives me a beautiful peace of mind to keep pushing my in my own world Mm -hmm. um no question just wanted to say thank you for that (laughs) um you know what i am curious about is you have this whole life experience with this disorder, mm-hmm. OCD. Does that does that uh, inform your decision to pick a particular field of study in college and run kind of in that in, in a parallel path with that? Being that you are in the, I think I got this psycho neuroimmunology. Good job, God, psycho neuroimmunology, baby. Yep, had to had to parse it out right there. Um, <laughs> To follow that, and I, and I want to get into what that really is, but before that, like your studies in college, your studies mm-hmm. in university are so much in, you know, in line with kind of the, the world that you've been talking about. Mm-hmm. Like, is there those parallels that did this and then created, even if it's an offshoot, did, was there any information with that or in, any informed decision to make that kind of a thing? Or like, tell me about what that came from picking this field that you now study. Totally. So I'll I'll back up just a little bit because my mental health has been part of my academic journey for quite a long time. I had a friend say this to me so brilliantly a while ago because I used to be hyper-masculine. And he said, baby girl, when you're little and you go through trauma, the masculine comes forward as the protector to say, we're safe, we got this. And the masculine is is the sun is discipline is intellect is action oriented and can also feed the ego in some unhealthy ways and so when i was choosing my undergrad major i asked myself what is the most challenging thing that i could get myself to study and do successfully it wasn't really what do i want to do with this or what doors is this going to open like that was part of it but it was more of this like intellectual challenge you Mm. know and i so i chose chemistry because it wasn't going to be engineering it wasn't going to be math and it wasn't going to be physics so chemistry came next (laughs) so your ego of wanting to be challenged in life and being competitive had a little bit to do with that (laughs) yes and it definitely fed my ego it certainly fed my ego and at at the same time i'm so grateful i studied chemistry it brought me closer to source than i would have ever imagined and that was actually the biggest thing that i got out of it because i feel like every element on the periodic table is 
Like if computers are binary zeros and ones, well then life is written in this code of every element on the periodic table, but then you have protons and neutrons and electrons and quarks and they're all, there's the elements themselves, but then all of the inner workings of the elements that can, that can change and an electron can be ejected and it, it's this beautiful dance with infinite possibilities. And at the same time, I realized after I finished my undergrad that I was using my intellect as a cape to try and keep people away because I felt so scared and so insecure in so many places of my life. But at least if I was smart enough to get a degree in chemistry and understand science in this way, well, then I can show up and I can be the smartest person in the room and I can use my intellect to build a castle around me that keeps me safe. And I also knew I didn't want to wear a white lab coat for the rest of my life, so I wasn't going to use that degree to build my career. (laughs) So that's kind of where my academic journey started. And then COVID hit and I moved in with my mom because I was still working in the restaurant industry, even though I had this degree in chemistry because my little brother didn't have daycare. So at least I can move home and nanny him and be helpful in that way. And I sat down and meditated and I was just like, please, angels, give me a sign. Just give me a sign. Just tell me what to do and I will do it. And the clearest divine guidance I've ever received, boom, get a PhD in psychology. And I was like, okay. I got up off that cushion and from that moment forward, I've been on this path that I'm in. And originally, I had been admitted to Texas Tech University to study, um, it was going to be a neuroscience PhD in essentially meditation research with a lot of like EEG, fMRI kind of stuff, really Mm -hmm. heavy on the neuroscience. And by divine intervention, two weeks before I was supposed to move to Texas, I got transferred up here to Montana State University in a lab that studies psychoneuroimmunology, which is just a big fancy word that psycho is mind, neuro, nervous system, immunology, immune system. So it's how different mindsets or cognitive parameters affect physiological, biological processes within the body. And I am so grateful that I've been led to this path because what my lab studies specifically is how childhood trauma dysregulates the nervous system. And so I like get covered in goosebumps every time I talk about it because I didn't really make the conscious choice of like, this is the lab I'm going to, but I surrendered to the will of the universe and just said guide me I'm ready like get my ego out of the way and just and I had this ego at first of like oh psychology psychology is so soft like do I really want a PhD in psychology is that lame like <laughs> like so much ego there was so much ego in that going from like I'm a hard science girl yeah. and trying to get myself to be okay with being a soft science girl my ego was really like trying to fight me on I that. couldn't make it through the door trying to get yeah somebody, exactly you know? I was like oh my frontal lobe is so big oh my neck hurts (laughs) like like the most so much ego and I think that's probably common for a lot of people that have different mental illnesses of like Mm -hmm. my ego was trying so hard to protect me because I was so not okay Mm -hmm. in so many ways Mm -hmm. so the ego that masculine voice was like nope we got it we're good and so it it was a, a complex place to live but as soon as I finally surrendered and I was just like just tell me just guide me like I will listen like get my ego out of the way like wherever you tell me to go like I'm gonna go and now I've been guided to be in this program where I get to study 
not only exactly what I went through, but also the number one thing that I think can bring healing to people on our planet is the awareness that childhood trauma dysregulates the nervous system, which means as you encounter triggers later in life, if you haven't worked through that trauma, well, then that's going to change the way that you respond at the physiological level, which is going to change the way that you respond at the cognitive level. And then we're going to have this feedback loop that's going. So where do we break the cycle? how do we break the cycle and what healing modalities can we bring into this space Mm. and so i feel like now my academic career and also my personal life experience have really converged to put me in a place where i feel so passionate about what i get to do and what i get to study because i've lived it and i've also healed through it so i know the potential of what this field can bring to the altar for people Mm. Oh man, you got me have goosebumps. Sorry, that, right was, now. that was no, long-winded. Do not apologize. <laughs> that was <clears throat> that was the thing early on getting to know you that was so striking because a with my childhood trauma, you were speaking right to me. I'm sure yeah. you're speaking to I would say a majority of people. And B the the going forward and trying to understand how we break that cycle mm-hmm. is where you've met me in my life. And where you, when you did meet me, that's where I was. Yeah. Um, and to some degree, I was meeting you there too and yours. You yeah, know? that's uh, where we're all meeting each yeah, other, I think. <laughs> very fascinating. And so, you know, you, you did just give the explanation because that was going to be my follow-up question, which was like, what does this study look at? You know, what does the things like this study kind of go into when you're sitting there and, you know, getting into it can be kind of a pretty decent sized rabbit hole. So, Mm -hmm. you know, for me, it's just, it's the repackaged way of how it was when I was a kid Mm -hmm. to what it looks like now. And you're so right. Like how say this abuse happening meant I was scared this, this, and this happened. Well, maybe I'm not seeing abuse, but something that triggers that still triggers those Mm -hmm. things, but those things are not how I would react to it then it's how am I doing with it now? Maybe that's shutting people away or whatever it looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's fascinating to kind of go and see those things that were, those, those stones that were left unturned mm-hmm. in a way and, and where I've been starting to unturn them and look at them and go, Ooh, I don't really like what's underneath this rock, but. Ooh, spooky rock. <laughs> Ooh, spooky rock. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, you're in, you're kind of finding yourself in this, this melding process of the, the passions mm-hmm. that you really have come to love throughout your life that come from the work that you've been doing, the journeys that you've taken uh, with the academic, how they're all coming into one. Mm-hmm. Where, if you have any vision of this, where do you foresee taking this mm-hmm. and wanting to do into the in the wide open world that you've proven to yourself you can do anything? Yeah. Where do you want to take all this? Yeah. I I mean the big vision, the big picture dream is I want to buy a big plot of land and on that land be able to farm that land, grow all of our fruits and vegetables and have livestock and live in a community setting because that's one thing that we find in our research. The community is everything. Like There was a TED Talk that came out years ago that isolation and loneliness predisposes you for early mortality. I think 
at an increase of like 45%. And that that should be, I should fact check that, but I watched it a couple weeks ago. I think that's right where it lands. Like it's a, loneliness is a predictor for death above like cardiovascular disease and smoking and all of these other things mm-hmm. because we're social creatures. We're supposed to be embedded in a social context. And so for me, that's a big part of the healing journey is having connections with people. And so I want to live on this land with all of my friends and all of my family, kind of commune style, but I'll avoid starting a cult. But they get good tax breaks. So <laughs> maybe maybe I will start a cult. And then on this land, also have a retreat center. And in this retreat center, I want people to be able to come and let's focus on all aspects of the human system. I'll probably call it something like a mindset reset retreat, having people come from like 10 days, two weeks, maybe even longer. But let's focus on the fitness. Let's focus on the nutrition. Oh, is your blood pressure dysregulated? Like let's look at the body first because the body shows you where things are going wrong. What are you holding on to? What physiological process has become dysregulated because of a cognitive process or different trauma and the psychological piece is important but your mind's not going to be feeling good if your body isn't feeling good Mm. and that was a big part of my healing journey was realizing i can't outthink an overthinking disorder that's not going to happen but what i can do is drop into my body i can meditate i can regulate my breath i can start regulating my autonomic nervous system like the the nervous system is that magic key it's like psycho neuro immunology neuro is in the middle it's it's the bridge between the psycho the mind and the immune system your immune functioning so if we can regulate that piece right in the middle the nervous system then baby we got the keys to the castle we could we could do it all jingle jingle jingle, baby jingle jingle (laughs) (laughs) and so being able to focus on the physiological piece have people doing sauna and cold plunge and then obtain licenses for different plant medicine ceremonies and honoring different indigenous traditions and indigenous wisdom and really just cultivating a space where people can come and I can help them understand how their nervous system has become dysregulated in these certain ways and here are the tools that we have on the altar from the science perspective, but also the spiritual perspective to bring you back to the foundational knowing that you have everything you need within yourself to set yourself free. And I think that's where my work resides um, more than anywhere else is being in this space of just being a vessel here on this earth to remind people that they have all the tools they need to set mm-hmm. themselves free. Because especially here in the West, it's, oh, your name is Anne and you went to the doctor for depression. Okay, Anne, like you got this diagnosis for depression and you're going to have depression for the rest of your life. And you're going to be dependent <clears throat> on the Western medical system for your Zoloft or whatever it is that you're taking to make you feel better. And we can we can treat it and we can, make, we can probably make you feel better, but like you're probably going to have this for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. My mission in life is like, fuck that. Mm-hmm. Like, hard fuck that like of course there are certain times when western medicine is necessary and everyone's healing journey is different and i honor that and i respect it and i think western medicine has a place within that system but we need to start reminding people that mindset is everything and if you can adopt the mindset that is able to help you self-correct and 
move in a direction away from the things that are holding you back, you have infinite possibility to heal yourself. I couldn't agree more with that. I couldn't agree more with that. And I think what I have seen is so many people don't even know where to start. Mm -hmm. And everything you listed, although completely accurate, and I abide by it, I, you know, I agree with it, you know, whether it's sauna, cold plunge, meditation, people don't know where to necessarily always start with what it is for them. So you're dealing with, you know, we've reached 8 billion people on this earth and we have 8 billion different ways of thinking about how to live life. 8 billion different solutions. 8 billion different solutions, 8 billion different Mm -hmm. unique people that take their own unique playbook in order Mm -hmm. to get themselves there. So how do you think that you can approach this Mm -hmm. knowing that there is so much so many variables in a method that you may have constructed that worked for you and that you've Mm -hmm. seen the positive benefits that you also know will work for people but that that starting gate's going to look a lot different for a lot of different people 100 percent. first of all i think it's so important that we establish the starting gate because prescribing i was prescribed zoloft for having OCD, which is an antidepressant. So if we want to talk about giving people a blanket fix, that's what the pharmaceutical industry is doing on a large scale. And so instead of getting to the root of the issue, it's here's, oh, here we have a one size fits all band-aid for your gash that might be two centimeters big or a big gaping wound, but like, here you go. Here's the industry standard band-aid, like a lock, you know? Fucking ridiculous. And so... I think we have to approach it holistically from the understanding that every person is different. And this is why the trauma piece is so important because if we can understand how our trauma is dysregulating us, that's step one. That is step number one is just the understanding of how is this trauma dysregulating my nervous system and how is it changing my cognition? And that's that's a question that you can ask 8 billion people and you can get 8 billion different answers and then you can start the healing journey from there because not everyone needs to be on the same diet like a keto diet is going to be great for some people an ayurvedic diet is going to be great for other people other people function well on a vegan diet who knows what diet is going to be the best for you until you try that and you see how you feel and that's that's one piece of the puzzle. Some people like lifting weights. Some people like running. Some people really don't feel like working out. So maybe they just need to go on a longer, brisk walk. Like there are so many pieces to the puzzle that we can put together in a way that builds a complete pie <laughs> of healing yeah. for each individual person. And that's, it's hard to do that way. And it's almost impossible to do it in our current medical system because providers only have 15 to 20 minutes with a patient. So of course, giving them a one, size fits all fix is really the only option that these providers have in the current system that they're plugged into. And so I really want to be part of this movement of changing the paradigm of the system that we subscribe to. Because if I had the option of being a doctor and giving a band-aid fix to a hundred thousand people over the course of my career, or I could give a very personalized approach to 2,000 people that works for them and then I teach these people this method and then they can bring it out into their community and they can bring it out into their community and they can bring it out into their community. Over the course of my lifetime, I might 
impact the lives of a million people if things move out exponentially like that. And so I think we need to be focused more on quality over quantity and really foster the relationships we have because it's people like you and people like Mia and Ruby and Roxanne and Lua, these people that I look up to so much that when I talk to them, I become so inspired that I take that and I I go make all the other relationships in my life better. And if we can apply conversation and healing in that context, I think we can affect change at a massive scale. Well, I'll tell you that you've at least got one person who you've affected (laughs) and it's me and I appreciate you and everything that you've been doing and to tell you that it's mutual on this side. The love is received and, you know, where to go from here is always the next question for me each day of where the next step is. But when I find people like you, there is very much that desire to attach. It's like like they like you said, listening to that voice mm-hmm. that you know there's two there's two voices, the ones that don't feel good and the ones that feel good. And you are very much in that realm. So I just want to say thank you for allowing me to have this conversation with you today. Yeah, of course. Um, where I, I guess let me ask you this. what is what's next? for jade michaels what what, what is next uh on, on your on your list of things coming up yeah so i am defending my master's thesis this upcoming monday which will be exciting and then is that I, like a little arena where like the common person can come in and watch like, it is yeah. yeah it's open to the public if you want to come see popcorn, it popcorn beer all that stuff oh yeah tequila <laughs> 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 it's gonna be great And then I am going to California for a whole month. I've been given the opportunity to lead a workshop at High Vibe Festival. And then I'll go to Northern California to study with some of my sisters that are deep on the medicine path and tap into their wisdom and continue those studies. And then I will be headed to lightning in a bottle to enjoy the festival and the community and kind of just celebrate finishing my master's and giving another talk there and that's really step one for the next part of my journey is taking every opportunity to lead workshops and give talks and connect to community and network and take every opportunity on the table to learn from community and just sit my ass down and listen to the wisdom that my brothers and sisters hold and I'm that's why I'm grateful every time I get to spend time with you because I get to plug into that community wisdom. I'm grateful for this opportunity to go out to California and learn from community and just sit my ass down and be a, a student. And I'm I'm at the point where I'm ready for summer vacation. I've been the academic student for the past couple months and like that's cool and great and dandy and all of the things, but I'm excited to like sit my ass down and be like a life student, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. I'm ready for... I'm ready for that reprieve. (laughs) I'm excited for that one. Um, Where can we find you? Yeah, so my Instagram is just at Jade Michael. There's three L's, so it's at Jade Michael with three L's at the end of Michael. Yeah. (laughs) Stands for live, laugh, love. No, I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. Jade Michael was just taken. The the the, home goods version of the... The home goods version. (laughs) 
it's a very domestic suburban flavor yeah jade michael live laugh love live laugh love it's so bad and uh website anything like that like I don't have a website currently. It's something that I'll get up in due time. But right now I'm really focused on um, just Instagram is where you can find me while I'm in school and doing a bunch of other things. The website will come down the pipeline when there's a little bit more time and space to focus that way. Yeah. And just like everything that's happened in your life, it will come in the time that it needs to come. Exactly. Divine timing, baby. Divine timing. Well, with that, Jade, thank you so much. Uh, this has been a lovely conversation and I can't wait for us to touch back uh, at some point in the future and figure out where you've been, what you've been doing and just hear the the evolution of your journey. So thank you and uh, appreciate you. Yes, thank you, darling. I love you. All right. I'd like to thank my guest today for being on the show. I'd also like to thank all of you for your continued support as we move forward into this journey. And to remind everyone, including myself, that doing anything for the love of it will ultimately bring more worth than if otherwise. I'm thankful for these moments spent, and I hope you can find a moment to be thankful for the things you value in your life and pass that on. I'll see you on the other side.